Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we've got another first. We've got our first September edition of White Sox Weekly today. One month left in the baseball season. White Sox have called up a few... Uh, support members to this ball club. They are waiting for a number of guys to get off the disabled list, and they have, unfortunately, just today had to put one more on the disabled list. We're going to update you with all the news uh, that the White Sox have been making over the last couple of uh, last couple of days here. We'll hear from a couple of the principals as well. Later on in the show, you're going to hear from General Manager Rick Hahn. He had a sit-down with the media yesterday, probably his last big sit-down until you know, maybe the end of the season or maybe even winter meetings or so. So this one's a, a big one and full of a lot, chock full of a lot of good stuff and nuggets and news and notes, all that good junk. Uh, Carson Fulner is going to talk with us a little bit. We A uh, number of the media had a chance to talk with Carson when he came back yesterday. Just kind of about where he's at, where his head's at, where his uh, whole season kind of was. It was an up-and-down one, and I think he, he talks a little bit about that, about what it's been to – have that kind of season and yet feel the way he feels. I think it'll be an interesting one for you to hear a little bit. James Fegan of The Athletic will join us right around 5 o'clock or so, and you will hear a bit from Ricky Renteria, too. He's addressed the media here and talked a bit about uh, Jose Abreu, who is going to miss yet another ball game. And it seems to be uh, a manager's decision, more or less. Yeah, there's a bit of an injury that he's working through, um, but for Ricky, it, it seems as though... He just wants to make sure everything's A-OK and ready to roll. And when he does come back, Jose, this is, when Jose does come back into the lineup, that he's 100% and nothing's going to hold him back. Nothing's going to break his stride. You can get in tune with us here on the show, 312-245. No, sorry, this is White Sox Weekly, so the phone number is a different one. 312-591-8900. That's the phone number here this afternoon, 312-591-8900. And the question to you today is a pretty simple one if if perhaps it does have a, a number of answers. What player that has you know come up in the last couple of weeks or so, what young player do you want to see the most of here down the stretch in September? And it doesn't have to be, so certainly it could be, Yoan Mankata coming off the disabled list and playing a little bit more baseball to round out the 2017 season. Could be the same for Nicky Delmonico, but... Who knows? Maybe you want to see Carson Fulmer work out of the bullpen if that's indeed where his role's going to be. Or maybe you want to see David Holmberg get a crack in the rotation and a couple of starts here. Whatever it happens to be for you. Maybe it's a, a Giolito start all the way through you know, every fifth day. Or, or Reynaldo Lopez, who pitched pretty well here last night, going every fifth day. I, I want to know from you what young player you're most excited about seeing in this September uh, for whatever that means to you, that's kind of what I'm, I'm interested in here. But of course, you want to you want to hijack the conversation. You want to talk about anything you want to talk about, White Sox wise. That's what we're here for. Three one two five nine one eight nine zero zero. You can always drop us a message on Twitter at c one mcknight c the number one mcknight the last name. You want to drop us a note there. We'll pick it up throughout the week. Get into it on the mailbag during the mailbag. And we'll talk a bit about uh, your conversations there. A little bit of talk uh, the last couple of days uh, just about some of the injuries that the White Sox have had to deal with over the last couple of weeks. And 
you know, when guys will get back. I suppose we might as well get into a few pieces of news right off the top here before we hear from Rick Hahn right after the 4 o'clock news. Big news is this. Uh, it, it does indeed turn out that Lurie Garcia is going to hit the disabled list, has hit the disabled list. For Lurie, it'll be a second trip there, and, and certainly the first one was a lengthy one. It's a sprained right thumb. Reimer Liriano comes up from AAA Charlotte. Reimer was, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say on a tear, but really clipping off a, a number of good, consistent games over his last handful of weeks at AAA Charlotte. He's 26. You remember that Liriano missed almost two full years after getting hit in the face with a pitch, uh, so that has really halted his development. He is certainly a player who had a, a good deal of prospect shine with him or on him when he was with the uh, Brewers, when he was at the Padres uh, over the last seven years or so. He obviously signed very, very young at age 19 and uh, an outfielder who's got a little bit of pop and a, a decent arm, to be sure. He's hit two fifty six with 15 doubles, three triples, 17 homers in AAA Charlotte, for AAA Charlotte this season, 123 games in total. Played mostly right field, a little bit of left, a couple of games in center field. Um, big guy too, six foot two, two ten, and we saw him play a little bit too in spring training this year, and and hit fairly well. Did Reimer Liriano? If there were uh, some strikeouts there too, but I, the the Triple A body of work is, is probably more informative than is uh, spring training all those months ago. For Yuan Mancata and Nikki Delmonico, and and we'll talk about this some after we've heard from Rick Hahn right after the four o'clock news, but. It, while both of them are eligible to come off on the fourth, uh, come off the DL on the fourth this month, it doesn't seem, uh, at least, and this is what Rick Hahn said yesterday, it doesn't seem like either are going to come off right away. But he did express some hope that both Delmonico and Mancata, though perhaps not at the same time, but that both of them would be activated at some point during the homestand, uh, this homestand here. And and it's it's a long one. You got a handful of ball games uh, this weekend. It's of course the Rays, and then the Cleveland Indians are in for a good long stretch from Monday all the way until Thursday. And then the Giants are here this next weekend before the White Sox take off for Kansas City. So there are opportunities, a lot of ball games to be played here at Guaranteed Rate Field throughout the month of September. Two really long homestands, the longest you can get, really. So it's it's entirely possible that Delmonico and Mancata are back at it at some point this week, perhaps next weekend. Saw Mankata this afternoon doing some um, some speed training work, I guess, is probably what that was. You know, you got the big rubber band on you behind, around your hips, and you're taking off from the sideline doing some speed training acceleration work, so that's good to see. Uh, Mankata had been dealing with the bone bruise on his shin. Delmonico with a sprained wrist. Saw him this afternoon. Not sure what his uh, Tennessee Volunteers have been up to. I haven't checked the college football scores, but as long as his Tennessee Volunteers win, Delmonico's spirits will be up. Certainly seems like he's getting more and more healthy as the days go on. And I, I think really, too, for, for both of those injuries and, and for all of them here down this last month of September, it, it seems like the White Sox have taken kind of this hard hardline stance, and a good one, a conservative one, a, one that kind of demands that the player is – all the way back from an injury before you go and press it. And it makes sense. You know, I mean, it, it makes sense. The White Sox understand where they are in the standings. They understand what it is uh, to get the best kind of play and, and the most healthy play out of their guys so that they can best evaluate those players 
over the last month of September. And that is something that it sounds like Ricky Renteria is absolutely happy to do in this month. And that is use it as as evaluation time. And, you know, there's there's a difference between September baseball and, and the rest. I, I think, you know, rosters expand and it can be kind of hard to make sure that you're you're seeing players against major league competition as opposed to perhaps you know bullpens that expand some and might have a couple of triple a guys up some young younger guys you know working in roles that they haven't worked in before uh, lord knows the white Sox will have a number of those guys too and while it's not a bad thing to put those players in those roles to gain experience not by any stretch you know if you're looking at a hitter who's doing a little work in september there's perhaps sometime noise that you've got to make sure you're mining through and and finding uh, the proper set of evaluation goggles to put on and make sure you're looking at uh, looking at players in the right perspective or from the right perspective, I guess, in the month of September. And that's going to be the challenge, I think, for for the White Sox in this month. You know, now that these now that a number of young kids have come up, and it's entirely possible that um, that maybe another call up or two are made before or rather after the AAA season is done. Uh, the White Sox minor league systems, all of them wrap up on Monday, the 4th, with the exception of low-A Kannapolis, who will make the playoffs. And that league, the Southern Atlantic League, has yet to uh, set the playoff bracket, per se. Uh, but we, they, they will play some uh, some postseason games down there in low-A. But for AAA, for AA, and for high-A Winston-Salem, they're all done after Monday's games. So one thing is off the bat you've got a chance to add a couple of players, whether that be, and I'm completely uh, completely speculating here, but perhaps a Jacob May or perhaps a Cody Ashey would come up, guys who have been here before, um, you know, Jacob breaking camp and so did Cody Ashey uh, right at the beginning of the year. Both of them have really hit pretty well at AAA since going back down and kind of figuring things some things out, getting a little more regular playing time. Cody Ashey's mashed. And Jacob May has done really well, uh, pretty well, too. So, you know, maybe we'll see. A position player or two comes up, and certainly if injuries were to pop up, those guys are all available. Uh, another thing the, the cessation of the minor leagues is going to do for us, it's going to kind of change the farm report here on the show. We won't, we won't have much of a farm report the last couple of weeks, and because of that, we're going to really blow it out this afternoon we got a big-time farm report coming to you, and I suppose we probably could have led with this, but um, we're going to work through a number of the big prospects and go through the uh, the seasons they had on the whole, right? Take a look at the, you know, because these are report card times, essentially, and, you know, we'll do the best we can to not scout just the stat line and bring you a little insight from uh, folks we've talked to here in the organization. Uh, but if you have a prospect that you want to hear about or, or find out exactly what he did over this season – Feel free to shoot us a note on Twitter at C1 McKnight. That's the Twitter handle. Or, of course, and as always, you can give us a call, 312-591-8900. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about last night's ball game before we get into Rick Hahn at 4 o'clock. Ronaldo Lopez returned from the disabled list. And i got to tell you, he knocked a little rust off, and the Rays took advantage, perhaps, of some of that rust. But after that had gone, I think you saw a pretty good pitcher last night in Ronaldo Lopez, and that's the hope is that that rust is gone, and he's got a handful of starts here in September to let everybody know that he has arrived on the big league scene and is ready for the 2018 season. 
This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We will be right back. Talk a bit about Reynaldo Lopez. You've got WLS AM 890. Sox fans, you can head to the park for dollar hot dogs on the last two Wednesday home games of this season. Take advantage of this unbeatable deal on September 6th as the Sox take on the Cleveland Indians at 7.10 p.m. Purchase tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, and we've oh, have we lost Panama? Our producer, Adam Stadzinski, bailed on the Panama way too early. It's Panama, man. You let that ride for the entire... If there weren't copyright laws, we'd probably just let it ride for the rest of the show, to be quite honest with you. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. Here on the show this afternoon. Been teasing it for a while. We, uh, we just got started at 3.30, but uh, at 4 o'clock, Rick Hahn, general manager of the ball club, talked with White Sox beat reporters yesterday. Uh, we were there. We took copious notes. We even recorded the whole thing. So we'll air that for you right after the 4 o'clock news. A lot of good conversation with Rick about what September's going to look like how some of these players who have just been added to the roster are going to be used, how some of the guys, you know, and at that point, Ronaldo was just coming back to make his start last night and want to get into that in just a minute or two as well. Uh, but some some good long-term kind of conversation and, and season-end type stuff. And certainly, you know, and we talked about it when we begin the show, September will be meaningful for the Sox in a developmental stance, to be sure. But in a real big way... You know, with and especially with the waiver deal of Miguel Gonzalez uh, at the deadline just a couple of days ago, two days ago, and and that's something we've kind of even something that we've been waiting on for a while, considering how well he'd pitched uh, over the since coming back off the disabled list. Really, one clunker in nine starts, and it was yeah, you know, granted a grand old clunker, but the rest of the starts were were darn good. I mean, two runs, one run, quality starts left and right, eight of nine quality starts after coming off the disabled list for Miguel Gonzalez, a guy who would really stabilize this White Sox rotation when they were needing it. You think back to just, you know, his first season coming up in a start against the Blue Jays, you know, White Sox still trying to keep things around that 23 and 10 start. Miguel thrown into a tough spot to compete Managed to keep his head above water for the first month and then just took off and was a quality starter from there on out. And I think back to his game early on in the season against the Yankees, 89 pitches through eight and a third, and then finally gave up and gave, well, not gave up, but ran out of gas a little bit. White Sox finished that thing off. He pitched some gems this season, did Miguel. And I'll tell you this much, too. He was uh, a real joy to talk to. The guy really liked uh, talking about pitching. He had a lot going on. And was a guy who, uh, and, and I think we talk about this quite a bit with with Ricky Renteria being the manager he is, being the guy he is as a as a bilingual manager. When you've got players, particularly pitchers, but I think it you know kind of goes across the board. But when you got guys who are so incredibly fluent in both languages, like Ricky, like Miguel, uh, like Miguel is, then you've just got this. I don't know how to explain this bridge to everybody, right? I mean, it, and it's not just Miguel's ability to converse between, you know, a guy who speaks mostly just Spanish and a guy who only speaks English. Um, and granted, you know, most of the Spanish speakers in this league will have some English on them. And I suppose most of the English speakers will have some Spanish, but I think it mostly is the other way. 
uh, where the Spanish speakers are are learning a little bit of English to try and keep up with, I guess, the majority of their teammates. But when you've got a guy who is as bilingual as Ricky is, as Miguel is, you've just got more conduits for everybody to have a conversation about you know, whatever the heck you, you want to talk about. But all that is is worth something to you. And I think Miguel was, was worth a lot on the mound and worth a lot in that clubhouse as well. And the Rangers definitely got a good one. You'll hear from Rick Hahn in a couple uh, about the prospect they got back, talking about Forbes, a third baseman, former second-round pick in the 2014 draft, and a guy with a little bit of uh, perhaps some upside. We'll have to see. want to talk a bit uh, about Reynaldo Lopez's start last night against the Rays. He went six, gave up three, walked one, and struck out seven. thought the fastball was very good, and I thought the changeup after the first inning got much, much better. And, and I, I think that at bat against Logan Morrison, in case you missed the ball game, Kevin Kiermeyer led off with a single. He got Lucas Duda to, to fly out to center field, struck out Evan Longoria on a fastball that seems to just – Reynaldo's fastball has some pretty natural life to it. And I think, obviously, with the velocity it's got and the movement, it's a pretty tough pitch to hit. He gave Longoria a good one, struck him out swinging, and then faced Logan Morrison. So Morrison – Swings and misses at a changeup, low and away, that was just filthy. I was all over this place. Looked like a baby out of the womb, just a lot of jello moving around for him at the, in the batter's box. Lopez comes back with a heater, low and away. He's able to take that. Decent pitch. And then the next changeup is belt high, middle of the plate, up, elevated, and out of the ballpark. Morrison took him deep for a homer. I believe it was his 34th of the season. And And to me... You know, watching some of those at bats, some of those, you know, where pitch selection might not have been the problem. You know, he had him probably geared up for that, for that next fastball, doubling up, that kind of thing. Maybe that's the pitch he wants to throw, but not the location he throws it. And I think when you look at Reynaldo and his having missed two starts, not having gone down to the minor leagues to make any rehab assignments, there was going to clearly be rust to go ahead and take off. But I think it's it's pretty critical crucial even, for those two young starters, and I mean Giolito and I mean Lopez, and I, I suppose Fulmer too, if indeed he does take starts here throughout September. Um, we'll, we'll hear a little bit more from Rick Hahn in just a few as to the plan as it stands for Carson Fulmer and even some of the other guys who can mix back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation. A guy like Mike Pelfrey, who's still pretty stretched out, or a guy like David, uh, or rather Derek Holland who perhaps may be back and forth some as well. Uh, a guy like David Holmberg, too, who could be back and forth. Uh, but I think crucially for those young starters is allowing them situations. And granted, Reynaldo's situation last night was one of his own making and his own his own kind of lesson. But I, I think back to Lucas Giolito's last start where Ricky Renteria left him out there with two outs in the sixth to try and get, um, I believe it was Eddie Rosario of the Twins, who just plugged the ball deep to left about a foot and a half foul, but about 90 feet past the wall, a mammoth shot. And then he goes on, works the rest of the at-bat, gets a couple of foul balls, finally gets his guy and is out of the inning in some trouble. You know, sure, there are situations like that where you would maybe go to the bullpen in a, in a late game, in a tight game, in a game that you're absolutely having to have in your season. But I think there are also times, and this September may be a time like it, where you can offer those challenges to a young pitcher 
when it's not going to completely stress him out, when it's not going to be attacks on the arm, you know, things like that. You want to see some stress in that guy's resume or on that guy's resume so that you know, A, what he's able to handle and what he might not be able to handle at this point in his career, and B, and it's mostly B, so that he knows what those situations feel like, what they, what, what kind of fatigue he knows he has to overcome, how to pitch without having the crispest stuff, without having the nastiest breaking ball, without having the pinpoint command of the fastball late in a start like you might have early on. I think those are big lessons to learn, and I think, you know, here and there you're going to see perhaps some decisions that, you know, you don't otherwise make, whether it be for, for starters or even for some relievers. You might see some, um, I don't want to necessarily say unorthodox, but I'm grasping for a better word at this point, some unorthodox decisions made so that guys can learn lessons. And to me, that's the fun part of, of what's left in September. To me, that's the development part that we may see here in September, where you learn something about these players, about these young guys that will break up the next you know, core of the White Sox, um, and they'll learn those lessons as well. You can save on tickets with the Labor Day flash sale. Get select lower-level tickets for just $10 to any September home game. This special offer ends on Monday at 5 p.m., so visit whitesox.com slash Labor Day to order your tickets today. We're going to pause it here. We'll take a quick break. The 4 o'clock news is next, and then we'll hear from General Manager Rick Hahn. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. MLB.TV is every night, every device. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live. Plus, get a free subscription to At-Bat Premium, the number one app for live baseball. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.TV for details. A lot of things going on with the White Sox over the last week, or really over the last like three days, to be honest. Miguel Gonzalez gets traded. Lurie Garcia goes on the disabled list. Carson Fulmer and David Holmberg were called up. Reimer Liriano hits the ball club today and will make his White Sox debut this afternoon. He is out there in left field. Avi Garcia in right, and it is Adam Engel in center field. I suppose we can just do the rest of the lineup for you in case you want to know. From third to first, it's Yolmer Sanchez at the corner. At shortstop, Tim Anderson. Alan Hansen is at second base today, and Matt Davidson is at first. You'll hear from Ricky Renteria a bit later on in the show and absolutely in the pregame show about keeping Jose out for just one more day. Conversation that the two of them had to have. Jose wants to play. Uh, but Ricky needs to make sure that he's all set, ready to roll, as healthy as he can be. Anyway, uh, about what the White Sox have been up to over the last couple of weeks or so, or even in the last, you know, kind of intense three days with Reynaldo coming back and all the other moves I just mentioned, uh, General Manager Rick Hahn sat down with White Sox beat reporters and myself yesterday. Uh, the White Sox beat reporters are intrepid and asked many, many questions. We threw a couple in as well. Thought we'd bring it to you, and the conversation begins with a question about Carson Fulmer and the decision to bring him back up after that start in the doubleheader. It did not go well for Carson, uh, but he is back up and here for September. Rick Hahn was asked what the thought process was. Here you go. Carson, um, 
thought process on bringing it back for September and how is he going to be used in uh, the final month? We're, we're still talking about how we're going to use these guys. Uh, we thought it was important to get Carson back here to get him working with Coop and get him working with Haas. Uh, we may use them in a variety of different ways. It's possible it gets a start or two along the stretch, or it's possible we just use them exclusively out of the pen. We still need to uh, go through the specific plan going into next week for, for each of the guys coming. And there still may be one or two additions once the AAA season and AA season is over. Uh, obviously, Carson's had a bit of a rough year at AAA, a little bit uh, up and down, a nice start, and then a difficult stretch, which he's rebounded a little bit from in recent weeks. We just felt getting him more innings over the course of the 2017 season and, again, tested at this level will benefit his development for the long term. Is there a chance you guys go... Six man or a modified six man? Uh, throw guys in for spot start. After the series, right now we're TBD. We had a few conversations about different permutations for the rotation, and we haven't quite settled in on one just yet. Uh, but we but we will in the next day or so. Uh, I think the key here is over the next month we want to use as many as much as these innings, as much as these opportunities for our young players and continue their development and give them the opportunity to prove how they how they possibly fit for the coming years. Do you want to look at innings caps at all for some of those young guys like Carson or Lopez or whoever? You, you know, I, I don't think we're going to have trouble with any of those just yet. If it's going to be more a function of if we see signs of fatigue from them or, or variations in their mechanics that is going to require some sort of modification. In terms of the gross numbers, especially after uh, Lopi's DL stint, I don't think we're going to have year-to-year step-up concerns or fatigue concerns. It's going to be more what our eyes see and, and the performance dictates. Now that we've gone through another deadline, another trade deadline, um, you know there's still work to be done, but how do you feel, you feel like you get the most out of your assets? You know, for the most part, I think we're, we're pleased. I think we uh, did everything in our power to maximize the long-term benefit for the club based upon what we had on hand and based upon what the market was was dictating. Uh, you know, there's always uh, another move that you envision making. You had a lot of different ideas that we bandy about back there, it's not all of which obviously come to fruition. But I think net of everything, we should be uh, pleased with the progress we've made over the last nine months. We know we, uh, despite everything we've done, we've got a lot of important work ahead of us. It's not necessarily all going to be along the lines of the player acquisition or talent accumulation phase as we've spent the last several months doing. Uh, player development's obviously going to become more and more important over the coming as it has over the last few months and it continue on over the next few years as we get these players uh, closer to the big leagues and reaching their potential. But uh, in terms of this talent accumulation stage or the first portion of that over the course of the last nine months, I think, I think we're all fairly pleased with what we've been able to accomplish. How much do you look at the rest of the division as you're you know, going through what you're going through? It looks like Detroit's now in a you know, full rebuild. Minnesota's been kind of doing that. It has some good young players. Cleveland's Cleveland, and Kansas City's got some free agents. So. We need to get our own house in order first. We need to build what is a championship-caliber club at the big league level and a championship-caliber organization behind it. Uh, how our division fits into that will sort of move how high of a bar that is in terms of getting into the postseason. But ultimately, our goals are about winning a championship. So we need to, regardless of how good or bad or indifferent our competition may be within the division, we have to be ultimately good enough to beat anybody in baseball. Ricky was surprised that Miguel hadn't been moved given the way he pitched the last couple of weeks. Any surprise on your end that it took two, you know, where it took two to make a move like that? A little bit, I guess. I, I kind of expected the market perhaps to be a little more robust for the quality 
uh, starter that he is and the quality person that he is and the durability he's shown. That said, you have to look at each contender's situation. If it's possible that if you are already confident you're going to be in the postseason, that you don't necessarily project him to be one of the three guys you're probably going to go with, so it's less of a need. Uh, and if you are chasing a wild card spot, there's some clubs that aren't overly eager to uh, spend long-term assets on what is essentially a 50-50 proposition to get deeper into the playoffs. So I, I get it. I think looking at him from what is admittedly a, a biased position, having had the pleasure of having him around the last couple of years and seeing what he's capable of doing, I expected it to be a little more robust than it was in the end, but ultimately we were able to get an interesting prospect back with some upside that our amateur scouts had liked back in 2014, and, and our pro scouts continue to believe he's got some potential and it's just going to need some repetition, take some time. So it all worked out well for Miguel in the end. He's got an opportunity to, to potentially win, and uh, we were able to add another, as I said, in, potentially intriguing back to the organization. What's the update uh, on Moncada? Uh, he's starting to do some baseball activities over the course of this weekend. Uh, he's eligible to come off, I believe, on the 4th. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, but hopefully some point over the course of this homestand we'll be able to set a date when he's going to be ready. Similar with Nikki. Nikki's uh, been swinging a little bit, as I think those of you uh, in Minnesota know. Uh, he also is eligible on the 4th. I also don't think we're going to activate him right when he's eligible, but hopefully over the course of this homestand we'll be able to get him back active too. So do you now shift your focus from what other organizations you have, like your own it's all sort of part of it. Is we sort of get a little more focused on preparing for the offseason now. It's the most, uh, or obviously all the transactions in terms of trades have taken place. Uh, you know, we'll have our organizational meetings here over the next six, eight weeks and get our thoughts together as a group and uh, set forth our, our plan for the next steps of this, this project over the course of the next several weeks. Made some deals to get prospects with uh, bonus pool money, mm -hmm. with kind of you know Luis Robert kind of instituting the penalty on you guys. You yeah. view that as kind of like a, a useful avenue to get talent. Uh, Absolutely, we we knew. Obviously, part of the strategy in terms of getting Luis was the fact that we knew we weren't going to be able to spend on on international free agent talent beyond three hundred thousand dollars, but we were going to have portions of our pool that we were going to be able to move for. Almost more advanced talent a little bit. I mean, in Yaziari, whose name I'm probably still butchering, uh, we were able to get an advanced middle infielder with some upside who's already an A-ball, and then with uh, Ryan Burr, uh, sir, he, uh, we were able to get someone who... Uh, is an interesting profile as a reliever arm who may come quickly. So we knew we weren't going to use that pool towards accumulating traditional Latin American talent at age 16 or so, but we were going to have another avenue to bring some talent into the organization as we already have with uh, Burr and Yaziari. When you look at the last two draft classes, which got pretty solid reviews overall, how long do you usually wait and, or need to see whether it's... Uh, it does take some time, and we've been spoiled around here over the years in having how quickly Chris came, Chris Sale came to the big leagues and Carlos Rodon came extremely quickly. Uh, we've been a little bit spoiled in terms of how long development actually takes. Uh, so it's easy to, I get the instinct to sort of read into early results, especially as guys start getting promoted and moving more quickly. I mean, having Alec Hansen already up in double-A is a great a huge step forward in terms of where he was a year ago right when we drafted him and a great tribute to him and, and our player development people but at the same time a normal development path probably has another at least 18 months or so in his development uh, which would make it a three year, a little over three year path from college to the big leagues which is more traditional than what we've seen around here in recent years so I guess 
the short answer to your question, if that's possible at this point, is uh, it usually takes at least probably three years to fully judge a draft. Usually with September call-ups, you see a lot of new talent, but th- how, different is it, it, yeah. how different is it this year that they're already here? I mean, it, it, at this point, it's a matter of getting the guys healthy and getting Nikki back and Yohan back and continuing to see uh, what some of our young guys and Giolito and, and even Carlos and T.A. can continue to do this season to solidify their their path towards being a part of a championship club. So it is a little different with not having that infusion, but we've kind of been having that infusion uh, over the last six, eight weeks already. So it's we've had our September 1st expansion already. Now that you just a little bit, when you look at this minor league system, you said you're, you're happy with it, but the, the turnover there compared to what you had this time last year, is it even surprising you? We knew we had some premium assets at the big league level that we were likely going to move. So we were very ambitious in terms of our expectations about what we were going to be able to bring back. Uh, the fact that the plan is via trade, via the most recent drafts we talked about, via Luis Robert who we talked about, has all come together very close to how we envisioned it, I guess isn't, I don't want to say it's surprising because you want to be able to hit your marks. We're very pleased we've been able to hit our marks. There's no guarantee that we're going to be able to do it. Certainly you can't force certain trade opportunities to come through. You can't force the opportunity to get a guy like Luis Robert to, to, to break your way. Uh, but it's what we, as a group, set off to set off to do 12 months ago or so, whenever this process officially started. And we're pleased with how, again, this first stage went. We, we know there's more work to do, but the first element of it has, has gone, uh, for the mar- most part, according to plan. Let's do another piece on, I'm sorry, do another piece on Mark Reslian. Is there a big league manager? I mean, I think so. But again, I'm completely biased, but I think we've got a bunch of minor league guys who can manage the big league someday. But Mark, Mark is a tremendous baseball man, uh, hard worker, great communicator. Uh, I think if you talk to any of the guys who played for him this year, they'll tell you that they uh, got better through his tutelage and the work of, of the coaches down there. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if he's on a big league staff and one day a big league manager at some point in the not-too-distant future. Is it because of where you guys are that you can – Forbes guy that came out with a lot of tools but hasn't performed. Gillespie kind of the same way. Uh, DJ Peterson yeah. and uh, Hanson here. No, there's an element of that. You're not you're not always going to be able to acquire the guy who's got the fantastic loud tools as well as the, out, the outstanding track record of performance. That's the ideal. You want to be able to check all the boxes. Uh, there are going to be times where we're betting on a performance that outstraps the tools to continue, and there's going to be times where you need to bet on the tools that haven't quite translated in the performance. All Ultimately, through repetition and, and improvement, translating to a, a good performance. Uh, Forbes is a young kid. We knew coming out, he was one of the youngest kids in the 2014 draft. We knew he was extremely raw and was going to take some time. Uh, he has a second-round pedigree. The guys you mentioned in, Pe- in Peterson and Gillespie uh, uh, were obviously first-round guys, but it's the same kind of element. There's a reason these guys had... Uh, that draft stock that they did at the time, and that's because of their tools. The reason they're available now, perhaps, is because they haven't lived up quite yet from a performance standpoint. And we got an opportunity here through our player development staff and, and a change of scene to perhaps hopefully unlock a little bit of that potential. You think Kainley is a good, the most recent example? Kainley's, like a, Kainley's a great example. Uh, Kainley's a great example. I would say Gavin Floyd's an example. He was fourth pick in the country who sort of blossomed here. Uh, Thornton was another good example of first or sandwich pick or something like that who, who unlocked here. Uh, and there's been examples other places too. It's not a, a unique play necessarily that, that necessarily that we're doing. Uh, but when certainly in some of the major or major deals that we did, the goal was to get sort of that well-rounded 
player, the one well-rounded prospect, the one who the tools and the subjective analysis matched with performance and the objective objective side of evaluating a player. As we move towards some of these later deals, you we knew you weren't going to get that perfect mix coming back. You're going to have to take some. That's either on the tools or on the performance translating at the big league level. Focuses on the last month up here, but how how cognizant are you of the draft spot for 2018, and, and how much of a difference does it make whether you get one or three or five or six or we're, wherever? You we're not that focused on it. We know it's going to wind up being a you know towards the top pick based on how we performed this year. Uh, we're we're fortunate in that it, next year. Assuming most things hold, it projects to be a very good draft, very top-heavy draft with a lot of different uh, interesting talents from high school and the collegiate level, position player and pitching-wise. It it's it's looks to be will be a robust draft class. And whether we're picking one, three, five, or whatever, we're going to wind up with a very interesting talent to, to add into this mix. How cognizant of you are kind of getting concerned about uh, someone like Carlos Rodon and Tim Anderson who are going to be up here through the long, difficult parts of this process, kind of getting used to being on a team that's, you know, undermanned or oh, not man. getting used to, like, losing or anything like that? No, that, that's that's a two things. One, I think part of what we've talked about going on around here is sort of the creation of a, a culture and approach to each and every game, and you've seen that fight from the players translate onto the field. But each and every day in there, I know the communication is going on in terms of preparing for that night's game and how to figure out a way to beat the opponent. That's sort of the thing that's going to endure and is going to last. And guys are gonna, who are going to be here through the thicker years after being here in the lean years, that's what's going to endure with them more than anything. Uh, so I really don't worry too much about it, this notion of getting used to the, the losing. Additionally, I think it comes down to the individual character of the player. And when you reference T.A. or, or Carlos or others who are going to likely be here, their focus is on winning. That's that's what they care about. They're, they might not, in, in, I'm sure they don't enjoy sitting through difficult games or a difficult season, unlike, you know, just like the rest of us. But ultimately, these are competitors who are focused strictly on trying to win championships as part of their makeup. It's, it's I, I don't see any scenario where any of the guys that we ultimately have on a championship caliber team are going to be somehow held back because they suffered through some difficult times when they were younger or earlier in their career. That's part of like when you're judging who's by your core. Yep, you're looking for that sort of makeup. That's a big part of it. That's a big part. Makeup's a huge part of it. Uh, and again, on, on a lot of these guys who we've acquired from outside the organization, you don't really know for sure until you have them inside uh, and you're working with them on a day-to-day basis. But our scouts do make that a priority in terms of identifying the right type of guy who can, you know, not only win in, in this city where there's a high level of scrutiny, but win in, in October when the uh, stakes are the highest. And it does take, take a, a special type of makeup. And we do our best to try and identify them. And over the course of the next few years, whereas we get to know these guys, uh, we'll be able to, you know, figure out who fits along those lines and who doesn't. That's White Sox manager, general manager, Rick Hahn. We'll talk a bit about some of the things he mentioned during his press conference with the White Sox beat reporters yesterday when we come back from the break. Sox fans, though, Friday, September 8th is halfway to St. Patrick's Day, presented by Jameson Irish Whiskey. Join us as we celebrate the heritage of the Southside Irish. The first 20,000 fans, ages 21 and over, will receive a White Sox flat cap be sure to stay after the game for fireworks. Purchase tickets today by visiting whitesox.com slash SPD. This is White Sox Weekly. We're going to step to a break. We come back more on WLS AM 890. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and it is time for our, for all intents and purposes, final farm report of 2017. It's not that we don't want to do any more. It's that the minor leagues, well, this season's coming to an end on Monday, so by next Saturday you'll have heard pretty much everything. We'll definitely keep you up to date on what Kannapolis ends up doing in the playoffs. They're going to make their push, and I think you'll hear from some of the players uh, probably next weekend, regardless of what happens in their playoff run. But I kind of wanted to take a look at the system as a whole and kind of remind everybody where so many of these players ended up. A lot of guys got promoted. A lot of guys moved up the system. A lot of these guys are, are here at the major league level, too. You know, when we started the year, I think a lot of people expected Yuan Mancata, Lucas Giolito, and Reynaldo Lopez, and probably Carson Fulmer, too, to be on this White Sox roster one way or another, even if it was uh, September baseball. But for the most part, you know, those names got up here before September and pitched a little bit and played a lot before that happened. So real quick, let's go through MLB Pipeline's top handful of players for the White Sox this year, and I'll do a quick thumbnail on each before we do kind of the deep dive into some of the numbers and performances over the last week for the White Sox. MLB Pipeline still, of course, has Yoan Mankata ranked first, and while you know we're waiting for him to get back off the disabled list, sounds like it could be this homestand. We just heard from Rick Hahn earlier on in the show, and he was kind of optimistic that while it might not be on the fourth when he's eligible to come back, could be this homestand where Yuan Mankata gets back in action. Mankata, I think, for the most part, has shown you a real disciplined approach at the plate, perhaps taking a little bit more often uh, than he'd like, but at the same token, walking quite a bit. And I think, too, he's hit some balls hard that haven't found any outfield grass, and you know we'll see some of that turn around a little bit. It'd be really interesting to see just how much baseball he's able to play in September and what kind of production he's able to put up. I, I think the, the sky is the limit for Yoan Mankata. Eloy Jimenez is their second-ranked prospect, and that kid did absolutely nothing but hit since getting traded over to the White Sox from the Cubs organization. Of course, the headliner in the Jose Quintana trade was promoted to double-A Birmingham um, in the last you know two weeks, three weeks or so of the season. Has hit at double-A to be sure. Eloy had been having a good season, no doubt about it, with the uh, high-A affiliate of the Cubs, which is the uh, Myrtle Beach Pelicans, if memory serves. So when he came over to the Winston-Salem Dash, same level in the White Sox organization, he just he turned it on in, in just kind of a ridiculous, ridiculous way. So since getting to Birmingham, I want to make sure I found the right page here. Here we go. Since getting to Birmingham... In 57 at-bats, he's held a 368 average. He's uh, homered three times. He's got himself five doubles. The on-base percentage is 500, and he's slugged 614. That's good baseball. That's good results. And for Eloy, you know, you, you kind of figure that, and a lot of these prospects, when we get to a lot of these names, you're, you're gonna, I'm going to tell you that they've all been promoted one level over the last couple of weeks or so. It's the case for a lot of these guys. You know, will. I, I imagine that that level they've promoted to will be the level they debut at next year. It's possible that they skip one, but I, I kind of doubt it in the case of Double A for sure. But you know, Double A is, and I don't want to be overzealous by any stretch. I think you know if you heard Rick Hahn here in the last couple of minutes, and by the way, if you didn't, head over to WLSAM.com, the podcast. Sorry, WLSAM.com/slash White Sox. 
And all the podcasts for our White Sox weekly shows are up there in case you missed any of it or just want to take a listen back through some of the programming. You're welcome to do so. Uh, you can find that Rick Hahn press conference there. I, I think he stressed very much, and I, I think maybe leaning on the Eloy Jimenez case, that development is not linear, that it is a lengthy kind of thing, that even as you know these promotions, especially for, uh, for a guy like Alec Hansen, who has moved up the level two, there's development left, and, and just because those promotions came late and fast for some of those players doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to continue at that rate next year. We shall see, of course. Their third-ranked prospect, MLB Pipeline, in the White Sox system is Michael Kopech. Kopech uh, threw last night in his final start of the year for the Charlotte Knights. He made three starts in total. Last night he went five, gave up two, struck out seven, and gave up seven hits. An ERA in total of three in three starts at Charlotte. Overall pitched fairly well there. His double-A numbers were absolutely preposterous. He was named the double-A uh, 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 pitcher of the year. For the Birmingham Barons, I, I think Kopech, the way you get scouts to talk about him, the way you get people in the White Sox organization and outside of it to talk about him is in glowing terms. And I wouldn't be all that surprised, though there are contenders. There are a lot of good young arms. The Boy, the Braves have a real good young one, too, uh, pitching-wise. But I, I wouldn't be all that surprised to see Michael Kopech, given the way he rose through the system and the expectations he's got and the stuff that he's able to show you. I wouldn't be all that surprised to see him ranked one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball this coming season once sources, uh, places like Baseball America or Pipeline or BP come out with their rankings. I, I think that's the kind of talent and makeup and stuff that he debuts, that whole mix. Luis Robert, though we did not see him stateside, is ranked number four for the White Sox right now at MLB Pipeline. Had a good uh, Dominican Summer League uh, performance. Didn't play all that much. Did have two injuries, kind of derail a bit of playing time. Looks like he's going to go to Instructs there in the DSL and then uh, we'll have to see, I think, what his spring training invite situation looks like. Might be an invite to Major League Camp, might not be. Rick Hahn hadn't ruled either of those out in a conversation a couple of weeks ago, so should be an interesting thing to watch for when we hit, uh, when we hit Arizona spring training in February after the winter is, uh, well, finished really lashing us with all of the, uh, all the snow. Blake Rutherford is ranked the fifth overall prospect, Lucas Giolito, who has pitched a couple of good ball games here for the White Sox, is sixth. Dylan Cease, the arm they got with uh, Eloy Jimenez in the Cubs trade for Jose Quintana, is seventh, and he bumped up a level two. So did Alec Hansen, and that's the guy I want to spend a little bit of time talking about here. Alec Hansen um, has, in case you forgot who he was, he's the eighth overall prospect on MLB Pipeline for the White Sox. He might have been, and forgive me if you've heard the story before and, and are kind of thinking, Connor, we've, we've all heard this. I, I think some Sox fans uh, who just haven't gotten all the way down, and this is nobody's fault. You don't want to get all that deep in the minor league system. You'd rather pay attention when they get to AAA and maybe a little closer to big leagues. Can't blame you at all for that. Uh, but I do want to let you know that in the case of Alec Hansen, that's a kid at Oklahoma who could have gone 1-1 had his senior season gone well. I mean, first overall in the draft. His senior season did not go well at all, and he slipped to the second round. 
White Sox were able to pick him up there, and all he's done is pitch and strike guys out. All he's done is post start after start after start where he's been, quite frankly, dominant. And now that he's you know kind of moved up a level and, and gotten that kind of bump and, and really maintained, too, here's what he's done so far this season. Um, at the Carolina League, he threw 58 innings over 11 starts, held an ERA of 2.93, struck out 82, walked 25, kept the opponent's average down to 203. Solid stuff. One start at Birmingham, five innings. He gave up seven hits. He uh, struck out eight, walked three. So kind of a, you know kind of a weird start for him. But you're going to have one of those. And I think I think by and large, whether it's Alec Hansen, whether it's Michael Kopech, whether it's Dane Dunning, when when those guys have come up one level, however it happens to go, you you've seen a start or two where it's kind of okay. Let's get my bearings, find out what I was doing at that level prior that's not working anymore, and let's change the game plan some. We talk all the time about this being adjustments, right? And and moving up that level is certainly an adjustment for a lot of these players. Uh, Zach Collins is the ninth overall prospect on MLB Pipeline, and he, in a weird season at, at Winston-Salem, I keep using the word weird, in, in a season at Winston-Salem where the average was low, the on-base was very high, seems like every time we did a box score, the Winston-Salem dash during the post-game show this year, uh, we were telling you that Zach Collins was 0-4-2 with two walks or something like that. Uh, he has hit now with uh, with Double-A Birmingham and, and hit well. So in in seeing that, in seeing that average kind of clicked up some and some of those, some of those results kind of, uh, I don't want to necessarily say normalize, but definitely kind of, well, yeah, maybe normalize is the right word. And 30 at-bats hold the 267 average with a 463 on-base percentage. The guy's walked 11 times in 11 games at A Birmingham, and he slugged 533-2. He's got two dingers and two doubles. Small sample size, to be sure. Don't get me wrong. But it's nice to see Zach Collins rewarded a little bit, getting bumped up that level and hitting some. He was promoted on the same day to double-A as Eloy Jimenez was. Uh, Dane Dunning is 10. Carson Fulmer is 11. Jake Berger, the first overall pick for the White Sox in this draft, is 12. And then Casey Gillespie is a guy I want to talk about a little bit, too. Remember, he was the a first-round draft pick a few years ago. Um, had hit some rough times in the Rays minor league system. He has come around. He came to the White Sox through the Dan Jennings trade. Gillespie's a switch hitting first baseman, and that's probably where he sticks on the defensive spectrum. But Gillespie has hit for some pop and done fairly well coming over to the White Sox system. And in total, you've seen some dingers, you've seen some power, you've seen a little bit of patience too. So. We'll see what uh, what this next season for Gillespie. Uh, we'll see what a minor league uh, or a, a spring training invite looks like for him as well. Um, we got to hit a break real quickly here. There are a couple more prospects I want to get to if we've got time. James Feagan of The Athletic is going to stop by the show uh, right after the 5 o'clock news, so perhaps we'll dive into the minor leaguers a little bit more. But when we come back, Ricky Renteria has spoken with reporters and has an update on Lurie Garcia, on Jose Abreu, and a really interesting conversation about the uh, the gelling of this White Sox clubhouse as it continues to change and has added a couple more players here uh, from a from a bilingual standpoint. We just happened to be talking about that earlier on in the show, and Ricky kind of talked about it a bit 
in his managerial press conference today. So you'll hear from uh, the skipper of the White Sox, Ricky Renteria, next on WLS AMA 90. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We're going to start the pregame show 535 this, uh, later this afternoon. 610 start for the White Sox and Rays. It's Carlos Rodon and Chris Archer on the bump. Should be a good pitching matchup there. Jose Abreu is out for another ballgame. Lurie Garcia has hit the disabled list. Reimer Liriano is up with the White Sox here in September. Rosters have expanded. And who knows, could add a couple more once uh, Charlotte wraps their season on the 4th, or I guess it would be after the 4th, they would be added in their last game is on the 4th. But Ricky Renteria talked about a couple of those injuries and a cool dynamic in the clubhouse and, real, frankly, on the mound when uh, when he brings the infield in and pitchers and catchers come with. Uh, wanted you to hear the latest from White Sox manager Ricky Renteria, so here it is. The area just uh, bought him a little too much, so you put him on the... Yeah, I mean, they did an MRI so uh, this morning. So a little aggravation to his ligament. So instead of uh, trying to pressure and make him feel like he's got to hurry himself along, I think that's uh, precipitated the, the DL. And obviously we have Reimer now to come in and uh, help fill a little void. Rick mentioned yesterday there might... I'm sorry, sorry. Rick mentioned yesterday there might be another one or two guys who could come up. Was he one of the guys you guys were looking at? Reimer, was he in the mix? Uh, not he said after the season and after Charlotte and Birmingham. And oh, it's, it's, it's possible. I mean, we didn't, we didn't, uh, you know, elaborate too much. I knew we had to wait till everything be completed, but uh, he's here now. So, uh, fortunately for us, we had him there and available. What type of player is Reimer? I know he's up, I think it was 2014. Yeah, uh, Reimer came into the Bobby organization, actually, while I was still down there. He was a very strong uh, prospect for us at that time there. Could run, had some pop. Very good arm, decent defender. He was a uh, uh, very uh, high energy. He had to learn how to kind of tone himself down a little bit. I think he has done that. I think he's a kid that over the course of his career has had a pretty good, decent, decent idea of the, of the plate, of the zone. Um, it's good thing to develop in the minor league. You know, I think a little time with Milwaukee um, a few years ago, but has continued to move along. So hopefully he'll give us uh, some solid at-bats at the plate. And, Regardless, righty lefty, and uh, play some defense for us, and you know, kind of, uh, kind of balance that out for us. And look, have you figured out Tuesday yet for a starter? Do you guys know who you're going? Uh, I have not yet. Uh, I'm sure we have. I'm, I, I got to sit back down and talk to Coopy. I have to look at the schedule again. I think it's uh, kind of tentative, so uh, before I give it to you, I'd have to go look at it again. Is this the same uh, ligament that Larry had before? No. Different. Yeah. This is on his, his right hand, and it's. Uh, just on the inside, near the, near the joint, above the joint, uh, the stump. Uh, and again, I think uh, the MRI showed a, a slight strain, so instead of you know, trying to have him push through it, it's just better to just put him on the Did he say that we heard it? Well, it's my understanding it was in, in uh, Minnesota, he kind of fell down and coming down the steps and kind of held himself up and felt a little bit, and then he irritated during the swing. And uh, yesterday, even when we looked at it, he looked a little uh, inflamed, and uh, that's why we decided to take him out. Is it right you still fighting you on getting uh Petey's fighting me. He was here. We were here this morning early around 10.30, 10.45. He got some treatment. 
know, we watch him hit in the cage. Uh, he took some swings. Still, he has still a little discomfort compared to where he was at. Obviously, much improved. Excuse me, much improved. Uh, and that's a situation now where, for me, as I got to take it out of his hands and say, you know, it's, it's much better to allow you to continue to heal uh, and feel better. Obviously, he does feel better, but uh, not to my satisfaction. Possibly for tomorrow for him. It, yeah, it's possible. I just I have to see him again. I have to see him again and see uh, where he's at. Uh, all of them are very tolerant of playing through discomfort, um, and I think that you know it's commendable. But I think also at a certain times as a manager, I have to make a decision for the best uh, well-being of all those guys at times. And uh, I'm sure if we were in a honestly, if we were in a pennant race or something, he, he'd probably end up wrapping it up and trying to get it up and get through it. At, at this point, is there any experimenting you do? Anything you try to new positions with anybody or, or anything at all? Not, not, not necessarily. I mean, yesterday was just a, a necessity for the need uh, for Narby to play first. I had two options. I could lose my DH, um, but I already I was already limited with with hitters in the, in the, in the dugout. I had. Uh, uh, Shields, he ready on call for that bat if necessary. You know, he, he was talking about his high school power to the opposite field, and, and <laughs> so he had his spikes and his bat ready. Um, but uh, no, I, 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 I think um, the guys that we're looking at that have had uh, have played different positions, we're going to continue to try and see what we can do in terms of getting them in there, and continue to evaluate how they look and assess how they look. And uh, it's important, I think, for us so that we know what we need to work on. And continue to work on in, in, the, in those positions. Uh, other than that, that would be it. Um, it's not like I'm going to try and you know recreate any anything or reinvent any uh, action out there with those guys. It's just uh, trying to make sure they're still in the best possible position to, to do the best they can and feel comfortable. Do you have any tape on James Shields hitting? You, you know what? Hard? I'm going to pull it up. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. Now you mention it, I'm sure somebody's got it on Google, so I'm going to look it up. How would you characterize the relationship between Narvaez and Rodon? Narvaez was saying before the game they're, they're pretty close buddies, and he can go out there and kind of rein him in. You know what? I, I think over time, all these guys, as they start to get to know each other, and especially the battery mates, including Schmitty and, and Narby and, and, and Brandt just got here, but as soon as you start to get known guys and you get a little bit more comfortable with them, you know what key phrases you can use, what, what you might be able to say, as he says, to kind of calm him down in a particular situation. I think that comes with time. Uh, and the fact that they have conversations on the bench, um, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. Uh, since we're rotating them, sometimes it's the other guy talking to, to Rody, you know, over a course of time. But that's part of their that's part of their developing the relationship with uh, the pitchers. I think that's the, one of the biggest uh, things that we can help uh, our catchers understand is uh, they have to develop a, re uh, a rapport with every single one, including the relievers, so that they feel really comfortable with how they're handling them uh, during a ball game. Omar said those one those conversations on the bench they alternate between Spanish and English, kind of teach each other. Do you notice that? Uh, I, I haven't noticed. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that that's happening. Uh, I know that, and I think I've mentioned it to you guys, you know, when I go out there, uh, you know, one day uh, it was all Latin except for Timmy. And I'm speaking in Spanish, and Timmy's, you know, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I said, okay, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it uh, in Spanish, and Narby's gonna translate uh, to Timmy. And we've done that a couple times, so it, it kind of breaks the ice out there. And, uh, it's good that they kind of uh, communicate as best they can in any language. 
It is a, a bilingual clubhouse, to be sure. Nice to have a guy who can navigate those waters as well as Ricky Renteria can. Uh, you can grab the whole family and head to the park on Sunday, September 10th, to celebrate Grandparents' Day. Join us as the Sox take on the San Francisco Giants at 1.10 p.m. It's Family Sunday, presented by Coca-Cola, with lower-level tickets as low as $15 and parking only $10. Visit WhiteSox.com to get your tickets today. News is next. James Fegan of The Athletic joins us after that. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got about a half an hour until we start the pregame show for the White Sox and Rays with Carlos Rodon and Chris Archer on the mound. You can grab the whole family, the entirety of your family, and head to the park Sunday, September 10th to celebrate Grandparents' Day. Join us. You bring your grandparents, too. Join us as the Sox take on the San Francisco Giants at 110. It's Family Sunday, presented by Coca-Cola, with lower-level tickets as low as $15, parking only 10 Visit WhiteSox.com to get your tickets today. It is our pleasure to be joined by James Fegan of The Athletic, who has left the press box and uh, ipso facto left the inane ramblings of one Scott Merkin of MLE.com, who is is probably watching a Michigan game right now. Uh, James, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Incisive observations of a great football mind, (laughs) Scott Merkin. It is uh, is always a joy. Honestly, I, I really do enjoy the month of September, like as college football starts, and you get, you know, a bunch of ball players who all have rooting interests. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting dynamic to throw into a season, you know, when Saturdays roll around and kind of those long afternoons are all kind of filled with college football before we start a baseball game. I, too, enjoyed Derek Holland doing that very pronounced, like, first down gesture. In the oh, that's clubhouse. a thing. Yeah, that was good. Holland is, a, Holland is a diehard Michigan fan, despite the fact that he's an Iowa or Ohio guy. Right. Which is, you know, just... Derek Holland. He's kind of a contrary in nature dude, and that's where he kind of goes from. I mean, who knows why anyone roots for Michigan or Ohio State, Connor, at the end it's of the day. Torture, really. Really torture. James, let me ask you this. As we as we move on to some of the, the roster call-ups in September, as we move on to you know seeing hopefully Yohan Mankata and Nikki Delmonico come back off the disabled list some, is, is there... Is there a development process that you're most looking forward to seeing these last four weeks or so? And how much do you, you know, as a guy who is, is into a prospect development and, and really handles the numbers well, how much can you trust September as you're kind of looking at the numbers and a performance? You can't. I mean, you can't trust <laughs> anything. But September is definitely uh, especially dangerous because it's weak in competition. Um, it's, you know, diluted roster qualities all over the league, even playing contenders. Um, you know, the White Sox have a schedule down a stretch where they play, you know, Houston, and a lot of Cleveland, so they're you know you playing some legit heavy hitters, but yeah, that that's that's always a concern. But as the point Rick Renneria made yesterday, uh, better to watch September ball and real Major League Baseball games and try to make you know, analysis off of spring training starts, which yeah. is what we will inevitably revert back to doing in four months at the first opportunity to you know pick apart Michael Kopech pitching three innings against a, a B team. We and, will immediately forgot that we yeah. talked about this at all. And, and talk about what that slider's not doing in Arizona. Yeah, or, you know, you know parsing Zach Putnam's splitter uh, right. in spring training. Right, exactly. Uh, I'd say over down the stretch, probably the most interesting guy to watch. Maybe not, like, the best guy to watch. I mean, I think I'd place Ronaldo Lopez a little bit above him as far as development and his stuff being lively at this point. But I'm most interested to see Lucas Giolito. Uh, I'm most interested to see, you know, how much that slider 
and his curveball is commanded and how much it, it plays up against major league hitters. You know, watching him in AAA and seeing it kind of being an overwhelming swing and miss pitch is one thing, but seeing if that can really carry him over, you know, maybe some of the occasional shortcomings in command or over the fact that he's more of a 92 to 94 guy now than mm-hmm. the 98, 99 guy of, you know, legends of prospects past. Right. And, and seeing whether his arsenal can really carry him through a major league lineup repeatedly is probably what I'm most interested in in the sense that I feel like it's the biggest unknown for us to watch and really learn something about down the stretch. Talk with James Fegan of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, too, at J.R. Fegan. Lucas Giolito will start tomorrow against the Rays, so a chance to watch that next step. Tuesday's starter, after James Shields goes on Monday, is undecided. Um, is is it a point of interest to you how this rotation balances out and who gets a couple of starts here, or is it, you know, given the arms that we've seen and and will not may not see, is is it just kind of whatever they feel like doing is is fine with them, and and we'll just see what happens. I would say it's definitely interesting. Um, they definitely have spoken about Carson Fulmer in a way where they did not view, you know, his very rough debut as you know eliminating him or removing their interest in him as a starter, uh, both long-term and right now. Um, I would probably prefer to see Carson Fulmer in a couple multi-inning relief outings where we see a bit more consistency in his delivery and you know get some success behind him and something to build up his confidence before you start throwing him out in the rotation again, especially as opposed to you know facing Cleveland. Is that because you can pitch, pick matchups for him a little bit better and pick better spots for him to succeed out of that bullpen, or... Is it because of the, the short effort? It's really just trying to see if there can be, you know, Han and Renneria both talked about getting him hands-on work with Don Cooper and yeah. Kurt Hasler down the stretch. I guess I would really just want to give a little bit of time to see that take hold uh, rather than, you know, giving him just basically the five-day preparation mid-start and throwing him out there against sure. Cleveland. Uh, I don't. I feel like that could be just as kind of a rough experience as his last outing would be. I, I would just like some time to take that work, take hold. Because talking to Carson last month and also talking to his pitching coaches, it, it seems like despite him being in the organization for, you know, this is second full year now, uh, they really haven't found that happy medium between trying to rein in his very, like, you know, quick, frenetic delivery, but still finding something that feels natural to him. Because you can't just slow him down to a crawl and have him do all the right things if it doesn't feel like it works for him, yeah. which it doesn't f- seem talking to him that he ever found a comfort spot. So assuming that's going to take time, or at least a little bit of time, a little bullpen sessions, I-, I would like to see him kind of work in kind of a lower leverage or some situation where it's not going to be as high pressure and scrutinized as, you know, some fill-in uh, mop-up relief time. Do you have a, uh, a sense, a two-parter, I guess, do you have a sense that there may be more players coming up once Charlotte wraps up its season? And uh, the, the second part, not connected to it at all, but we'll ask for both here anyway. Uh, who would be your White Sox minor leaguer of the year? Of the year? Of the year. Of the year. Um, well, it will not be the minor league of the year. I think it's hard to argue anyone but Michael Kopech. Yon Mankata loses by the way of not playing in the minor leagues for such sure. a long, long period of time. Irresponsible on his part if he really wanted to win the award. <laughs> right. Uh, Kopech need a better effort, Yon. Was probably as given as aggressive assignment uh, out of the season as anybody going straight to double A. You know, the show with Zach Collins that they're kind of really not rushing people anymore and giving people longer looks at uh, the lower levels for their top draft picks. Um, but Kopech got an aggressive assignment, absolutely blew away hitters 
two, three years older than him, uh, without much effort, really turned it on down the stretch in the second half and showed a little bit of more difficulty at AAA, but mm-hmm. it's still pretty clear that that's an overwhelming arsenal. And this is the longest season of his career by, uh, you know, maybe 60, 70 innings, yeah. something crazy like that, and no sign of fatigue, no sign of drop of velocity. Just if you had a notion that that was a ace prospect at the beginning of the season, it, that's fully bloomed now. Like, he's he's the top pitching prospect of the organization. If you told me, asked me to take a selection of all the guys, you know, sees Steelito, Ronaldo, who's going to be number one? It's Kofak. Yeah. So I think that's a guy. Um, same time, probably for the function of a September season, if I was going to think of who else would be added up, because now with the DL time, they functionally have added four guys. Yeah. Maybe Jake Peter. I mean, you have already have a, a slew of utility guys with Yolmer and Talia Saladino, but with Lurie going to DL, you know, they, they have been flirting with extreme shorthandedness. Right. I think we've talked about whether James Shields can play the outfield <laughs> a couple times Probably with could. Ricky this week. Probably good. Ideally, I think you have another guy who can do that. And Peter, uh, I was just listening to my interview with him last month, uh, talking about how he did all this adjustments with his hands to kind of add bat speed and it results in this huge like, little power surge he had yeah. in AAA. He's played in the outfield and, and in the infield, so he could probably keep James Shields' bat in his locker <laughs> by coming up. But I wouldn't be surprised if he stays down, too, because – you know, they, they got a full clubhouse. Real quickly here as we let you go, you wrote about for the athletic uh, Tim Anderson and just the, I guess, the development curve that is still left for him, the struggles that he went through this year. Uh, what strikes you most about Tim Anderson, the person, uh, after seeing what he'd gone through this year, both on and off the field? The, I mean, the purpose of the article, we kind of laid out the statistical case, which has shown, you know, as far as, swing rates and swinging out of the zone and strikeout rates and walk rates and even power, though he's shown a lot of it uh, over the last month. Yeah. You really kind of see, like, the same profile as last year. Um, but And that, you know, is not necessarily encouraging. But for someone who has dealt with all that he's dealt with, he's an extraordinarily resilient individual and just comes with the highest reviews of from his coaches. When I was in the minor leagues uh, and talking to guys in Winston-Salem and Kannapolis, they talked about, like, you know, we, you've never had prospects like this. We never had guys who were, you know, you could tell that they're going to make it like this before, except for Tim Anderson a couple of years ago. Because everyone who really watched him coming up knew he had kind of the, you know, fortitude and skills to kind of overcome things. Everyone, like, he might not, you know, become the star that, we all hope and expect he would be, but I have to just communicate that as far as talking to people, you get the highest reviews of his makeup sure. of anybody, uh, you know, bordering on the Brayu levels about, you know, how dedicated and how much of a hard worker he is and how much he's, you know, had difficulties over he's overcome. <laughs> He's James Fegan. The piece is on The Athletic. He's uh, all of his work, uh, good, bad, and different, mostly all of it good. Uh, and the Tim Anderson stuff there is uh, is up lately uh, at The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter, J.R. Fegan. James, thanks a bunch, man. Thank you. We'll take a quick break here. When we come back, you're going to hear from uh, A.J. Hinch, Houston's a- Houston Astros manager. Houston's gone through a lot, obviously, over the last week or so, and Hinch had a moment with the fans as the Astros reopened their ballpark against the Mets here this weekend. Keep it right here, WLS AMA 90. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We're wrapping things up. Pre-game show is going to start in just a few. White Sox and Rays here for game two of a three-game set. Good pitching matchup, too. Carlos Rodon and Chris Archer, your starters tonight. Sox fans, you can join us on Saturday, September 9th for Craft Beer Night as the Sox take on the San Francisco Giants. Make sure you listen to that post-game show. It'll be a good one. This ticket package includes a lower box game ticket and admission to the craft beer tasting. You'll be able to sample up to 18 different beers and ciders from a variety of breweries. See the full list and get your tickets today at whitesox.com slash craft. That's whitesox.com slash craft. That is uh, September 9th is when that's coming up. Um, so we mentioned it uh, just as we went to break. We talked with James Fegan of The Athletic uh, just in the last segment. We talked with, uh, we heard from, rather, Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager, and his kind of September press conference, so the beginning of September press conference. You can find those interviews and uh, the latest from Ricky Renteria and every show on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. I just wanted to take a minute here um, because the, uh, the the hurricane in Houston obviously affects so many down there and affects, you know, anybody who has family and friends in Houston. I do, and certainly, and I'm very thankful for the safety of, of those that, uh, that I'm familiar with and know down in Houston. However, not everybody has been as fortunate, and there's quite an effort going on to help out that entire city and communities uh, in and around Houston affected by Hurricane Harvey. Uh, Major League Baseball, with obviously a franchise involved in, in many other professional sports, and you know, you look at a guy like J.J. Watt, who has, uh, of the Houston Texans, gotten so much money together to help out and help relieve, uh, in some small way, the citizens of Houston it's, it's an important thing to do. Uh, the White Sox are taking part in that today and tomorrow. The White Sox-Sox split charities uh, raffle. The proceeds of that today and tomorrow are going to the American Red Cross to help in that relief effort. It is an incredibly worthwhile cause. And if you're headed out to the ballpark today or tomorrow, I highly recommend that you uh, set a little aside, I think, to, to help out. Um, I, I think, too, you know, there are... I don't know, it can be kitsch, it can be a little bit cliche at times, but in moments like this, it can be so important to give people affected by it just a brief moment of respite. And for if just a minute, uh, baseball can do that, that's what it should be used for. And for the people of Houston, for the first responders there, who are all, as many as they could find, given tickets uh, to the Astros-Mets game this afternoon. I believe it's a doubleheader today in Houston as they made their return to the city there. Uh, there was a lot of thank yous and a lot of uh, real meaningful stuff said by Astros manager A.J. Hinch before today's game. I wanted to play some of that today um, because I thought it was uh, a real well-said moment from Astros manager A.J. Hinch, and it's something that affects uh, really the entirety of, of our country, of our baseball community there for, for reasons mentioned. Um, so here is Astros manager A.J. Hinch uh, addressing the crowd as the Houston Astros have reopened Minute Maid Park for the first time after Hurricane Harvey. Hello, Houston. It's good to be home. I want to start out by thanking all of you for being here today. A uh, very special day for us to start the rebuild process of our great city. 
to the first responders, uh, those that are here, that aren't here, we can't say thank you enough. On behalf of the players, the coaches, uh, our organization, uh, we want to thank everyone in the city of Houston that's doing something good for somebody else. We're all very fortunate uh, to, to survive this hurricane. For those that were, our thoughts and prayers are with your families. To the Mets, I'd like to thank you for allowing us to have a day off yesterday for a day of service. Not only did they give us a day off, they were out in the communities doing things for, for a city that they rarely come to. And for that, we're forever grateful. Now, we wear this patch on our jersey the rest of the year to represent you. So stay strong, be strong, and we appreciate every one of you. Go Strohs. That's Astros manager A.J. Hinch before the Astros and Mets reopened Minute Maid Park down there in Houston after Hurricane Harvey had gone through that city for a number of days and surrounding areas as well. Beaumont, Texas, I know, heavily affected by it too. And, you know, in case you missed some of it, Hinch was alluding to the fact that they did take the day off on Friday. They played two today. And the Mets, uh, I know a lot of Mets players were very interested in getting down there and helping out during that off day. And you can help, too. Uh, you can be a part of that. The White Sox Charities split raffle today and tomorrow. The proceeds of that are going to the victims of Hurricane Harvey through the Red Cross. And if I may, uh, there are organizations down there in Houston that you can give to that will directly help to places like the Houston Food Bank um, are great places to look at and try and donate and, and just help. Just help, because after something like that, it takes so much from so many to help get everybody back on their feet, and that's what it's going to be for a little while here in the city of Houston. White Sox and Rays coming up here in just a few. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll even go one more. Thanks so much for helping out. It means a lot to everybody down there in Houston, so please do it if you can. Thanks to Rick Hahn for showing up on the show. James Fegan of The Athletic. Thanks to Adam Stadzinski, our producer, and Dave Zaslowski, our executive producer. The pregame show is coming up in just a few minutes. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AM 890.